1: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast ain't played nobody. Stephen Godfrey, at 38Godfrey. Instagram, Twitter, Banner Society, at Banner Society, on all those other social devices and what such. Uh, we're going to do a, uh, a blended episode. Richard and I, uh, we were riffing at work about the state of things in California, specifically in Southern California, UCLA, all the takery there all of the craziness of that comeback against Wazoo and then sort of transpose that with what's going on at USC. And then uh, Bud Elliott brings me all these hashtag ask PAPN questions about the G5. So y'all just, we're doing the Lord's work. We're converting him. I think it's because Kendall Bryles is the OC at Florida State now and they're running a bunch of, you know, gimmicky G5 nonsense. He's a convert. I can feel it. I can feel it happening. Uh, check out the Banner Society this week. We've got a ton of stuff. Please sign up for the read option. It's week five. I said it like it was a question. It's terrifying. Uh, we'll be back with a tasting menu on Thursday. I will be doing the uh, Instagram Q&A for the olds early on Saturday morning. Next week, uh, we'll have a slightly amended schedule. I'll talk a little bit about that on Thursday. I'm going to be on assignment for a biggin'. Uh, so please enjoy uh, this mixed bag, let's call it, midweek P A P N. Richard, you told me you wanted to talk about California on the show for what three weeks now, and now this was before. Just to give you a lot of credit, UCLA happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then UCLA happened. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'm just I'm just an East Coast liberal trying to talk about West Coast liberals.
1: Uh, my gosh. So we are going to try and contain this conversation. Well, I just I guess shout out to Cal. We'll get it out of the way, and then. Uh, My condolences to Stanford. We can just, we'll, we'll do the NorCal thing real fast. <laughs> uh, Cal is good. Their offense is not um, good. Win in Oxford. They continue to look um, like the complete mirror image of the Sunny Dykes team. And then Stanford, we've talked about this uh, sort of we're in a peak and we need exceptional generational skill position talent. Dah, 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 dah. So
0: we also have a lot of injured linemen. Let's give them credit there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: However, Los Angeles the hell
0: is going on the epicenter I, I, like I, let's let's start with UCLA first let's start with UCLA first we'll come around to USC um I, so until a 32 point comeback it looked like Chip Kelly was about to have a problem. I don't think he had a problem yet, but he was about to have a problem. Um, I I think that, and I don't, I don't want to throw that result out. They won the game and they scored seventy points. I'm I'm not going to sit here and throw that result out. But I like it's it's been three days and I still don't really know what to make heads or tails of that game as like a takeaway of future success. I have no idea. I have like, you came back from thirty two points down and scored seventy points against Washington State. Washington State lost the game with nine touchdowns thrown. Like I I don't know what to do with that. That's uncharted.
1: Um, it's it's a Wazoo defense. They've they've blown leads before. Uh, I I don't really have any rational context for this, and I think that maybe we don't give it rational context. Is there anything that you... I'll put it this way. Um, What happened is why you watch college football. Uh, It's why it's really hard to predict, and that's why they call it gambling, yada, yada, yada. But um, (laughs) it also may not have any bearing on the larger narrative here. I don't think anyone in the middle of this comeback said, oh, shit, it's proof of concept. UCLA is is like you know the light switches on. It wasn't really that at all. I think it was just more um momentum and sometimes these things just live in the context of that individual week. I mean, this has been is, a particularly and, weird year for comparative analysis.
0: And like is it is everybody forgetting the massive comeback during the Texas A&M game? Like I I'm not saying forgetting about it, but like that didn't have any bearing on the rest of the season either. Right. It was incredible and it was incredible for that week for that silo and then everybody forgot about it because the broader issues with the team resurfaced and surfaced I should say cuz that was week 1 surfaced yeah by over the way you you're
1: referencing week 1 of wasn't last season it was 2 seasons ago wasn't it Two
0: seasons ago. That would yeah, be 2017. Yeah. Yes, yes.
1: A version of this has already happened, yes.
0: Also, funny enough, I didn't see either of these two games live because anybody I at- who
1: tells you, look, anybody who was not a Wazoo fan or a West Coaster who says that they like they hung on and they were like, oh, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna sit up and watch this. Yeah, no. Yeah. no.
0: no. <laughs> I was asleep on Saturday night. I was at a Yankees game uh in 2017. But okay, be that as it may. Uh what we have with UCLA is I I So I was told that Chip Kelly, if it got to some terminal mass where they're going to fire Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly would not be the only person gone in that power structure at UCLA. Like Dan Guerrero, the AD would be fired before Chip Kelly. And I say that in the context of they had devoted so much to bringing Chip in organizationally, administratively, that it seemed like they were going to be in it with Chip for a... Fairly long haul. Again, remember, this is only Chip Kelly's sixteenth game. Like, it, it's not like it's not like he's even been there for eight years yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, two weeks ago when, when we kind of kicked this around as a topic in the show, like it was way too early to pull any trigger on UCLA. Dan is going to be the AD for you know a little bit of a foreseeable future. It, you know, it's all cool status quo. Um, my question is now that UCLA Athletic Director Dan Guerrero is going to retire, it's twofold. The first thing is what happens now if they don't turn this around, and and Saturday was a blip on the radar. And the other thing is, and and you know, hopefully we'll the two of us will maybe try to try to report this out a little bit more. Did Chip Kelly and company know that Dan Guerrero was close to retiring, because? In the aftermath of Guerrero's retirement, it sounded like a lot of folks at least had an inkling. Like, this did not catch a lot of people off guard in our reporting sphere.
1: No, it did not. I think that he's a name that people have expected to step down for the last couple years. Not not by virtue of a particular scandal. This isn't USC. It's just it it was sort of his time. Um, I think the Chip Kelly hire was made... With the knowledge among all parties that Guerrero would not be there to, to really see the fruition of it, I think the build I, now where the rub was. And by the way, can I just point out real fast? We're talking about UCLA again. I don't want this to be in the context of problem solved or they're on their way. They gave up sixty-three points. All right, <laughs> seven. And look, I, I know. Look, I worked with Bill Connolly for four years. I know. I know how worthless total yards are. They still gave up seven hundred and twenty of them. Okay. This is a bad football team. <laughs> this is an extremely bad football team. This is also an extremely bad football team that is not really – you you had a great illustration of this when you just posted it side by side. I don't know if it was Slack or Twitter or whatever, where I think it was a picture of Oregon in the Rose Bowl, right in the actual Rose Bowl game, I should say. I think against Wisconsin a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, it was ago. the one
0: against Wisconsin.
1: Okay. And then in the actual physical Rose Bowl, from the exact same vantage point, is UCLA in the Rose Bowl and I don't know who they were it was one of the It was the te- Oklahoma it was the Oklahoma game. Okay. They're running the exact same play Oregon and UCLA on the exact same part of the field in the exact same stadium. They just don't have football players right now.
0: Yeah, like It's not really that much more complicated. <laughs> if if you remember that Rose Bowl game, it was the very very long DeAnthony Thomas run. Um and it's basically a triple option uh, that Oregon's running um, whoever is the quarterback. I, I can't remember who the quarterback is for that Oregon team, but he he hands it to De'Anthony Thomas on the dive read, the first read ends up giving it to De'Anthony Thomas, and De'Anthony Thomas runs like seventy five yards. Um, flip that, and and two weeks ago it was UCLA and Oregon, a similar type of play, triple option. They're running it out of the pistol, um, I believe. Uh, with UCLA, and the play can't even get off the ground because Oklahoma's defensive tackle shoots the gap, and and absolutely torpedoes the play before it can even get started. In the Rose Bowl version, Wisconsin, their defensive tackles slant almost. Uh, into a more advantageous blockable position for Oregon's linemen in that game. And the linebackers slant the opposite way to to cover what they think is the pitch come to the outside. And the illustration there was, and is, I don't think Chip Kelly is behind the curve schematically. Um I, I think that Chip Kelly doesn't have the players to do whatever it is that Chip Kelly wants to do in his current iteration. But keep this in mind. Chip Kelly was never going to do Oregon stuff at UCLA. He said that the day they hired him and introduced him. Mm-hmm. The second thing there is the, a, a thing that people need to understand about tempo. You don't just speed a team up and things get better. Right. When you when, you know, you run a air quotes simpler offense and vis a vis a simpler defense when you run at tempo. If you can't execute the simple stuff at a slightly slower tempo, because UCLA is not slow, but they are obviously slower than it was at Oregon, obviously. Um, if if you run the basics at a slower tempo, not well poorly. When you speed that up, it's going to exacerbate your issues. That's the thing people need to realize about the blur tempo and all that kind of stuff. Um Kelly has not been able to and has not run at an incredible um you know lightning fast tempo in like 6 or 7 years. In the NFL it didn't work that way. And he had to evolve and will evolve and whether it works remains to be seen. But, you know, now this comes down to all right. It, it, were there are what seven games left in the season for them, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So so what is what, what does a new UCLA athletic director need to see coming into this to chart the course for year 3? I'm not talking about whether he gets fired or not between year 3. I'm talking about what expectation does the new UCLA athletic director Enter year three with Chip Kelly, like like what's the what what's the expectation there? What is what is what's the fair kind of expectation that Chip Kelly can set up for year three over the balance of the rest of the season?
1: I, you know, I, I read some of the like Bill Plaschke columns, and and I always get a kick out of going like fifty thousand feet high and looking at the vantage point of more sports media. This is a bad habit, by the way. It's like it's like picking your nose or chewing your fingernails. Don't do it, but. Um, I love I love a good my column take when you when you when you don't look at college football because you really have to get into a microscope situation with this sport. I've I've really come to believe that that the broader you go in college football, the dumber you will be all the time. The NFL is not like that, honestly. Um, everyone has just written this already off before the before the comeback, and and what's even dumber is that now people are bought in, um. We examine Chip Kelly through one lens in the college media and that's Oregon. That's the data set that we have on him, right? When he, Yeah, and it's
0: it's it is for better or for worse. I find it impossible to divorce. That's to divorce fine. The two.
1: That's fine. I don't really look at what he did with the Eagles and Niners Niners, especially so much when I'm I'm trying to figure out the UCLA thing. Now here's what we know.
0: I, I do in order to bridge the gap between Oregon and now, but continue. Okay. I wasn't pausing for dramatic effect. I was drinking.
1: Um, so what I would point out is this. The situation that he walked into in Eugene was vastly different for one big reason. Uh, do you know who the offensive coordinator at Oregon was before Chip Kelly got the job? Gary Crowton. Well, it was Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly became oh, oh, the head. Oh, you're talking
0: about before he got the, the head job.
1: Exactly. I thought you were talking about before Chip. the OC job. Yeah, it was yeah. Gary Crowton Shout out, by the way. Former LSU coordinator. Um, Chip Kelly was Chip Kelly's predecessor at Oregon. And what I mean by that was there was a green light, substantially less attention, and a roster better suited to immediately implement what we expect from Chip Kelly. And in 2007, Oregon came out and kind of sucked early.
0: And remember this about 2007 Chip Kelly. Obviously, like when when Gary Crouton, who I just referenced, left that job, my, he had already been on the job for two years. He was hired in 2005. And that's when Oregon really started doing spread stuff. Mike Bellotti, the head coach at the time, literally said to Gary Crowton, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. How do we keep doing what we're doing here right. now that you've gone? Gary Crowton literally said, Chip Kelly, this guy from New Hampshire, is the guy who you should bring in to keep doing what you were doing. Dennis Dixon was already on that team. Correct. And it already started the year before Chip Kelly came and took over. Jonathan Stewart was already on that team. Like, Chip Kelly has never, and this didn't make it into the piece that we wrote last week before the fucking comeback game, but Chip Kelly has never built a team from the ground up. And, and when Chip Kelly was given GM reigns in Philadelphia, we all know how that ended up. So, right now, that roster is not great. And the, rec- the last recruiting class was not good. Chip Kelly has shown that Chip Kelly can maximize talent already, but, and and Bill says this, it's one of the, my favorite things that Bill has ever said. Bill talks about program development as talent acquisition, development, and deployment. I think we know that Chip Kelly is really, really stinking good at um, talent development and talent deployment. The acquisition phase, whether it's college football or the NFL, is is where we're unsure now obviously they recruited fairly well at oregon but oregon was a different story because of the nike and the phil knight money and all that kind of stuff ucla is different at this point in time
1: whether or not it's better or worse is what we we have to figure out the one thing that gives me pause with with chip is not anything to do with play calling formations has he lost a step in terms of being an innovator it really is what you said, and that's this—that's the actual deployment of the talent when it's not handpicked for you. Because this—that's a lot of things killed him in the NFL. That—that that really killed him was that he could not—he could not either on his own or or with a GM get what he needed. And one of the things that I've heard over and over again to the point where I throw it away as a cliche when I talk to coaches is, you cannot put a system on players. Okay. You put players in a system. And what they mean by that is if you try and if you try and bend their skill set to what you want, you will ultimately fail. Where Chip Kelly saw a ton of success, I guess you could interpret it either way, but the bottom line was they were recruiting for a thing they hired someone to do who was the best at that thing at the time, which became the blur and whatever was. And wanted he to call leveled it. it up. Like I'm exactly. not gonna sit here and say
0: Chip Kelly didn't level the thing up. Like the results are obvious. He came into a thing in Oregon that was f- suited to to be a relatively seamless transition, and he took it to a height that I don't think anybody could have ever guessed.
1: Yes, this is all true. Um, So here's what we're going to say about UCLA. They're really interesting because of all this stuff. They're moving almost at a – the progress towards a resolution. I'm not saying progress like I think Chip Kelly is going to get it done at UCLA. I still have questions. Um, What I mean by progress is progress towards an answer. I think it's moving too slow for us to really judge week by week. I thought UCLA was fun for UCLA, um, pretty crippling for Wazoo. You live by the sword and die by the sword. That's not a Mike Leeds joke. Um, <laughs> we don't know yet, and that's okay. It's definitely something to monitor for whatever reason i think a lot of it is just because it's in los angeles so it's a major market and it's attracting attention anyone who thought this was going to be a turnkey operation doesn't understand college football doesn't understand ucla and doesn't understand chip kelly and i think what we've what we have said over and over again is he's got a lot of leeway he's got a lot of time they're they're working on facilities they're working on overhauling the actual staffing of the departments they're working on re, redoing ucla football and so Yeah, you know what? They lost to Cincinnati twice to open the season. I don't really think that matters in the wash. I don't. Now, if we're talking about this end of next season and the things that look systemic now persist, we can then adjust to the conversation. But as of right now, they're not a good football team. They're not going to go to a bowl this year. I do think that you will see... My guess is that you will see some progress, something measurable on the field by the time they get to USC.
0: Like you're talking about, like you're talking about, they run in like they run out four games in a row, and they look—it's possible, yeah—and they look, you know, competent, and and it, it works. By the
1: way, self-correcting real fast. The the season-opening loss to Boise that's so famous was 2009, not 2007. But what happened in 2007 was that they they basically ran too fast for themselves, at least to hear the coaches say it, and they lost three of the last four to end the season. These things happen. He's not perfect. We. And Dennis
0: we, Dixon got hurt in two thousand seven.
1: Yes, we 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 run into this thing where we we do this with Gus Malzahn. We do this with his hand. We did it with Steve Spurrier, and when he came back to Carolina, there was the same kind of conversation. You innovate, but people iterate, and yeah. it does not ascend you to God status unless you leave. It's one of the reasons why How Mummy's such a folk hero. How Mummy ain't the head coach of an, a Power Five team. It hasn't been for a long, long time. It's easier to make your it's easier to tell the tale and to spin the big yarn when you're not actively winning and losing football games.
0: Now I also re- like it, this was a, a tweet that I think I retweeted on Saturday night. Uh, actually, it's a tweet that I re- retweeted on Saturday night like at like halftime of the game, which is right around the time I went to sleep. Um, it's that how many artists do we know or do we love that had their first album that was transcendent? Then how many artists do we know and love that had a first transcendent album and never had another? That's even close.
1: Oh man. I think about this all the
0: time in music. Um, it's, I love Kid Cudi to death, but it will never get better than man in the moon. Is that his first? Ever. That was the first one. That there's was when a, I high
1: school. there's a rash throughout all the different generations of indie music of one and done. It's a, it's a bizarre thing. We don't talk about it a lot. Like, um, I think sometimes you say what you have to say, you change the conversation, maybe even change the entire landscape and then maybe you're done. That's how it happens. Um, also sometimes you can't really realize what it is you're trying to say until later does that now is this a one-to-one comparison to college football no but I like it because it is something I get caught up thinking about a lot where did but where do you like what what artists do you ascribe the predictable inevitable like malevolent Saban tree style of coaching to what is that is it just factory made pop hits
0: Yes, I, I think it's whatever type of music you can. I the, because the, the the difference there is with Saban, it it's one thing with and Belichick is the same thing. It's it's the mini versions that never ever sound the same, and for whatever reason, and we'll talk about this probably in another podcast for another day. Georgia Kirby Smart was the one. That has been able to get the tune to sound relatively similar, r- basically the same. Um All right, it's but, you can but, I'm sorry. I was starting laughing at myself thinking about Georgia's creed. Continue. Um yeah, that that's that's the challenge. With with Belichick and with Sabin, it's it's we're gonna get his you know, his 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 understudies and we're going to try to replicate the thing that he did, but at the end of the day, you don't have the brain. You don't have Sabin. You don't have Belichick. That's the one thing always missing from with whatever Will Muschamp's trying to do or whatever, you know, pick, uh, oh, God, Mangini. Mangini with the Jets and the Browns. Like, at the end of the day, he's not Bill Belichick, so it's not going to work like that if you try to do that. Anyway. Let's move across town.
1: I was about to say, uh, speaking of music, um, I don't know. I don't have a Snoop Dogg transition here. Um, Fucking Snoop. How do we still talk about a guy in 2019 who made one Hmm. good record?
0: And beat a murder charge?
1: But like, that was the one album. I had it on, like every kid I know, if you weren't allowed to listen to gangster rap because it was very much like, so in the 80s, there was a a hysteria around heavy metal because it was supposed to be satanic. And then in the early 90s, when I was like in junior, like junior high kid, whatever, like you weren't allowed to listen to ga- gangster rap, right? Because it was inciting violence. Um, like Doggy Style was like, can anyone name a Snoop Dogg album after Doggy Style? Okay, we're digressing, but um, everyone had that one album and then he just was like, then he was like a TV character. Every, he was everywhere.
0: Speaking of USC.
1: I've been to four PR events where Snoop Dogg was there over multiple different jobs and multiple different career paths, Richard. The man is ubiquitous. And if nothing else, I applaud him for gaming that system.
0: USC. um, I joked that we were going to talk about West Coast liberals, but we're going to talk about Lynn Swan, so I guess that's not true. Zing. Um, Okay, so.
1: Do I think Kelton's going to get fired right now? I still
0: do. Uh, I still do. I do. I mean, look, when you're down to a third quarterback, when you're down to a third quarterback, there's a level of cover there. There's a level of cover and proof of concept, especially with the way that they're kind of treating the third quarterback. Like, that kid comes in, Fink comes in in that game uh, on, like, what, the first series of that game? And Graham Harrell, it was clear, like, Graham Harrell was like, hey, damn the torpedoes. 50-50 balls all day. Like that's how they won that game. If it they works. Won the game if they, it I g-
1: mean Here's the here's the beauty of watching a team like USC right now. On their third quarterback in the pressure situation they're in. Admission scandal, AD gone. There's no governor on this football team.
0: You I have, also will You have no say idea this. what you're going to see. I will say this from an air raid def- and we this is a thing that we when when Cliff Kingsbury originally got the job. I had a question about whether USC could become the most complete, complete air raid team we've ever seen, which is a an air raid, or at least proto-air raid, because nobody really runs the real air raid except for Mike Leach. Da-da-da-da. Get out of my Twitter mentions. Could we see that with not just a competent defense, a like a good defense? Because USC's got some dudes on defense. Now, I wondered if we could see it all put together perfectly to have one of the most complete air raid teams ever. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen this year, but then again, I didn't think Cliff Kingsbury was going to take the Cardinals job and then he did. So now the sand has shifted. You've got Graham Harrell doing basically the same stuff. You've got a decent defense. Um, I know some USC fans are not happy with Clancy Pendergast, but that defense, when it shows its teeth can do what it did to Utah on Saturday night. I know Zach Moss got bounced out of that game. But that defense has talent and that defense can play and that defense can keep you into the game to figure some of your stuff on offense out. The other thing is, I don't think it's going to be that consistent with USC. So God knows what happens this Saturday or the next when they play Washington or whoever. I'm telling you, they've become.
1: I've become the person I always hated in college media because I always ascribe like a... An outsized amount of importance on a USC football game, but like, I I kind of can't turn away. What
0: if that, they like? What if they beat Washington on Saturday? What the hell are we supposed to do with that? Uh, yeah, that like, I don't know, I don't know. But Clay Helton, I, like, I wonder if timing of the hire matters. Timing of the athletic director hire matters.
1: <laughs> I think it does. Um, yeah.
0: like, if you get a a guy or a man or a woman in. In by the end of October, I think that person probably has the mandate to do what they I mean, they have the mandate anyway, it's their job. But like, if you get if you get an AD by the end of October, I think that would not. The sooner an AD comes in, I think the worse it is for Clay Helton. As long as the team consists continues to look inconsistent,
1: so Bryce Young flips. He's a five star quarterback. If you don't follow recruiting year round, no one's here to blame you for that. Um, that's why we keep the budster around. But so th- this is a, a kind of above the above the fold recruiting headline, and it's a very timely one. Bryce Young is a five-star uh, quarterback, and he's at uh, I think it's called Modern Day. I hope I pronounced that right. In yeah, Modern Day High School, that's yeah. like
0: a quarterback factory that yes. a lot of
1: USC quarterbacks have come from. Exactly. He flipped from USC to Alabama.
0: No, there was no, there was a time, yeah. in the not too distant past that if you were a player on the West Coast from west of the Rocky Mountains and USC wanted you to come to USC, you went to USC.
1: The idea that Alabama would not lure some kid out of Los Angeles because I do think the sport is way more universal than we give it credit for just in terms of its like geography and the I I, I think athletes going long dis- lo- longer and longer distances to play is just a product of our culture and that's okay. Um, It's that Alabama was appealing to a quarterback who wants to have a dynamic, career and compete at the highest level, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe Alabama is not a great example to prove where USC's at, because we, we often put Alabama as an outlier status. This instance, I, I'm trying to get people to look past the Alabama. This guy went to an sec school and skipped USC entirely under their nose in their backyard. I mean, hell he was committed to him. This to me is more damning than anything that happens in the next two or three weeks. Whether they beat Washington or not, what does that really matter? Where is the value of this program?
0: I think the well, one of the things that I think you may be finding out is so. Brad McMurphy record, reported last week that at least half a dozen people have interviewed for the USC athletic director job and turned it down. What the hell? Uh, so it like, look. Now, okay, let's 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 timeline the administrative stuff very quickly. A wonderful um, story comes out, I think this would probably be three weeks ago, um, about the massive USC donor who's donated uh, over $400 million to the school, um, and he had been previously unnamed. This is a guy who had the power to get the court at the basketball arena named but didn't name it for himself. Named it for his old hunting and fishing buddies um, that played for USC, like I think like fifty or sixty years ago, and wasn't terribly good. Um, guy's name is Wayne Hughes, and the the donor's name is Wayne Hughes. Not the not the guy that the name is the court is named after. Um, Hughes also buddy buddy with a lot of the old school USC. Um, Kind of phalanx of guys that created usc and what it is in the modern day the 60s and the 70s that's oj that's al cowlings um that's all those kind of guys student body right usc um and so he was also tight obviously that means with lynn swan so you know you draw the uh draw the parallels lynn swan has that job because of the outside influence of this guy wayne hughes um and then that story drops on a Friday. USC lost the next day. Lynn Swan was out by the next what Tuesday? Okay. Like the those things kind of you can draw a line between those things to kind of link those things together in a vacuum. Now you add that to the new USC president. Her name is Carol Fult. Um, she came over from the University of North Carolina in the midst of all of the academic issues that are going on around USC. um, They've got two higher-ups at the med school. One was like doing meth with students. Like it's a mess kind of uh, uh, on the university side of USC. And remember, USC is a private school in a very, very public place, similar to Miami. You may not remember it, but USC is private. So, and I'm getting to the point in a second. Carol Folt is cleaning house at a lot of different sectors of the university administration getting that old power network of usc stars usc has not had an athletic director that was not a football player at usc in my lifetime and and now that house cleaning that that swamp draining whatever you want to call it seems to have found its way to athletics so we will see how that plays out over the next months and and year or so
1: very quickly, Bryce Young is four-star rated by the two services that I actually use, which are rivals in 247. That's what Bud tells me to do. So um, I said, I think I said five at the top. He is actually a four-star recruit. As if I Does that matter? I have no idea. Um, I will leave you with this. <clears throat> the Pac-12 needs Los Angeles to be more functional. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon for completely different reasons. And this is where the programs really take divergent paths. I think UCLA is behind, excuse me, behind its system. I think UCLA is behind its system uh, led by Chip Kelly. I think that the next athletic director will be tasked with sort of working as a complementary function to Kelly. All right. Um, we see this a lot. I mean, it really reminds me of the the higher Texas A&M just made with Ross Bjork and, and Jimbo Fisher. I mean, I was told specifically that everything that Ole Miss was angry at Ross Bjork about for sort of over-empowering his football coach at Ole Miss um, and failing to rein him in was what, you know, which is, w- was very appealing to Texas A&M having Jimbo Fisher calling the shots. I think you're going to see a similar system at Ch- with Chip Kelly at UCLA. They're committed to the long haul. They're committed to a slower path because it's a new path for them. At least this is how they view it, okay? Uh, conversely, USC is a total unknown. I do believe that change is coming. I think it's inevitable. I really enjoy watching them, but I don't know if there's anything consistent about what they're doing week to week that says they could have the kind of season that Helton could stand in front of whatever superior structure it is and say, hey, here's why you should keep me. Um, Unfortunately, Richard, I think this hurts the Pac-12 more than anybody else.
0: Unfortunately for the Pac-12. The quickest fix and you touched on it the quickest fix to the pack 12s issues and i'm and, and it's broader than just they don't have a team in the playoff the quickest fix to the pack 12s issues which is identity is to have usc good that's the, the quickest fix and the quickest fix inside of that and this is i i hate to,
1: to back this up or even encourage or recommend this because i i don't like this logic at all but the way that you bring this back in the short term, because whoever you bring in there, it's going to take a while to get USC back to that top 10, top five status and be the, be the West coast anchor for the entire sport. The quickest fix is to hire a, as much of a celebrity style coach as you can. So it's the urban Meyer groomer. It's the big time retired NFL coach. It's, you know, Oh, it's Bob Stoops is going to come out of retirement. You know, all the various and sundry dumbass things that get thrown around in a, in a situation like this, that's what they need in the short term where you know Fox can tout it up when they do their, you know, when they talk about their football inventory, and then ESPN can plan a game day there because there's there's a non football narrative and something that people can hang their hat on. Um, the reality is there is no quick fix, and this is going to affect the league for a long time. And I keep saying this, y'all. I'll leave you on this thought. Maybe you disagree with me, Richard. We need a better West Coast in college football because college football suffers when it is not a national sport. And we're getting to a dangerous place.
0: But I, I, I wonder if I agree and that I don't because I don't think USC is national in a way that benefits the West Coast more than it benefits USC.
1: That's a totally fair argument. My problem is when you see the national perception, again, from that lazy 50,000 feet vantage point. There's nowhere to go out west in their eyes. We know there's quality but, football yeah. out there. I mean, look, Oregon can still make the playoff. By the way,
0: Auburn has a lost good yet. A, a good reputation of USC does whether USC is is good or not. A, a good a good reputation with USC can springboard the rest of the conference. So in that way, maybe I'm a little off base there now, because Oregon or Oregon State built you know mid two thousands you know empire empires and success they launched those off of wins against USC.
1: An athletic director in the PAC 12 once told me, he said, you know, we would never say this publicly because it really sort of shows where all the other schools stand in, in, in comparison, but we need number four USC to host us on a Thursday night game or a Saturday night game, regardless of our record, because it's a magnetic draw. We need that attention that comes with either like an Oregon state upsetting them. Uh, I think it was with Jack with the,
2: he was Jacques, Jacques yeah. is, right?
1: I think it was the quiz Rogers here. I can't remember. Anyway, we need that. I just remember Mark Sanchez throwing his helmet as he walked off the field in Corvallis. Um, they need that badly. They, they, they need a top five USC to get upset and, and they create a dynamic, uh, interesting product out of that. Or they need a top five USC to roll all the way into the playoff conversation. They don't have it. I've never seen a program sustain what USC can do. And I'm more than open to that. I I'm not a blue bloods guy. I am more than open to Oregon or Washington or Stanford or whatever program it wants to be. Wazoo, I don't give a shit. No one has ever pulled that off. Oregon has come closest and then they fell apart. Now, again, in one month, if Oregon still hasn't lost, I, I'm going to pull some of this, the West Coast is dead talk back. All right. But right now, the one lost ducks, it's just, it's not enough. Uh, Richard, we got to go. Uh, I will see you Thursday for the tasting menu. Either. Yes, Bud Elliot, unlike the miscreant millennial Richard Johnson, although I think we're millennials too, I don't want to get into that though. Um, you, you, you were true to the hashtag AskPAPN format. We just kind of riffed about California with Richard. You hand selected some questions. I will read them. You will answer them. I will piggyback off of your expertise. So let's jump into it at the Joe Sanders uh, hashtag AskPAPN. Boise app state and SMU are all next to each other in p plus this week I guess we should say SP plus I don't know I feel like selling out when I do that uh which one has the best shot at the new Year's six bud
2: well I think they all have a decent shot right yes UCF losing is uh is is opening up that, that quite a bit to me the, the most important factor here is is the zero and loss column you know the, the ability to actually get through Undefeated, and of those three, well, let me see what do my numbers say, and my numbers are basically just a mixture of everybody else's numbers. That's okay. So, not a bad shot for Boise. Vamp for just a second here. I would say um, this
1: right off. The, so, so whenever I ask, whenever people ask about who has the best shot for G five, bias leans towards the American Athletic when you're looking at strength of schedule down the stretch because they haven't really even started conference play. What's amazing about SMU is that they navigated Arkansas State, North Texas, a plucky Texas State team rebuilding, and then at TCU. Three of those four games could have swung either way. I really believe that. Um, They've looked better in every game. Um, There definitely are still some questions on defense. However, they still have yet to play a lot of good football teams, a very good team in Temple, a very good team in Memphis, a very good team, or a good team maybe let's just say in Tulane, and then obviously you have the Academies. Which are problematic when you get them uh, in the middle of your schedule. I will say this: SMU gets a buy before they go to Annapolis this year. This is a th- this is a schedule you can navigate. It's not necessarily the easiest one. Also, by the way, I would throw
2: out Memphis is still undefeated too, and Memphis is actually playing some defense this year. I, I, I'm going to go with Boise here for, for this reason. I, I think Boise already has the of of those three the marquee win mm-hmm. right. Um, I think Florida State will be end up being a better win for Boise than uh, than UNC or, or South Carolina will for uh, for App. Assuming that they, they get it, uh, I think like TCU has just not looked that great so far. Uh, they they'll probably drop a couple more in conference play on SMU's side though. If you want to go there, uh, they don't play UCF in the regular season, so they would not have to beat UCF twice to go. They only have to beat them once. The game at Houston now looks a lot more winnable. I already had SMU favored at Houston, even if they had Derek King, but without him, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't even know if Houston's going to make a bowl. Uh, like they, Their schedule is fairly favorable, but I'm still going to go with Boise here. All
1: right, just to throw this out for App, you have a road game coming up in early October at, uh, oh, man, every time. ULL, let's just say that. Um, you still have a... Thursday night primetime game against your arch rival who's also a triple option team. Weird things happen. And then the following game they have to go to South Carolina. So there's there's still potholes on that schedule for App as well. Not to mention, hey, not, not to sleep on anything. They close against Troy. It was really hard for me, bud. Um, Troy, by the way, 2-1. and one. They lost a game I, I don't think they should have it to Southern Miss, but a, a good program. A, a, a program capable of beating App this year. Uh, I was trying to sort of suss out the quick G5 picture on the hurry up, and we just haven't had enough data points yet for me to figure out because I, I would still keep UCF in there. But what you said is true about maintaining the undefeated status. That's really what this playoff committee looks at more than anything else when they're trying to figure out that G5 participant in the New Year's Six Bowls. Is that right? I don't know. Was Western Michigan the best team that year that they went and got thumped by Wisconsin? I don't know. But for whatever reason, if you're a G5, you sure as hell better not lose if you want to maintain national attention. That's where the whole Boise uh, murder smurf thing came from, was the idea, Bud, that, like, let's say they lost to Florida State. They could have they could have run the entire rest of the schedule and not really had any national attention on them, snuck up and beat somebody else. That was the whole idea of murder smurfs. Um, all right,
2: look at all that G5 from Bud right out of the gate. If uh, By the way, if you're UCF, you're a huge Stanford fan this weekend. If they, if they drop that game at Oregon State, they could lose every single game in their schedule and, and finish
1: 1-11. Yeah, that win doesn't really have,
2: I wouldn't say any quality this year, a greatly diminished quality. How's that? I'm not saying they will go 1-11, by the way, with Stanford. I don't want that thrown back at me. I think they'll probably go like 3-9. At Remix Nine
1: Five One, I constantly hear NFL fans of beleaguered teams say, "quote We should fire our coach and hire Lincoln Riley." In quote, I'm going to pause this question right here, uh, Bud. As a fan of the one and two Atlanta Falcons,
2: uh, yeah, I'm in this. I'm on this ship, Lincoln. My coach in the NFL just took a uh, took a delayed game to make a longer field goal attempt. God, and we lost. (laughs) You see that? Yeah, I did. I just, yeah. yeah. God, I hate that. That was sad. Lincoln is making you get a one turnover, 400 yard game from Jameis, and you lose it. Lincoln is making
1: $6 million a year, and if he keeps making Heisman quarterbacks and making the playoffs, I'd imagine Oklahoma would be willing to keep raising his salary. Would Lincoln ever really leave a bona fide blue blood program and perhaps the second or third coldest seat in all of college football? Uh, I can
2: start by answering this and say, yes, it's always possible. Um, I think Steve Spurrier left. That's yes. kind of the closest comparison, I would, I would think, except Spurrier was older. When he did leave. One Nick Saban also left an
1: LSU program that, you may not want to hear this in Tuscaloosa, had Nick stayed, LSU would be everything that Alabama is right now. There was no difference whatsoever. If anything, I would I would posit this, Better. and I think Bud would support me. You know what LSU doesn't have? An Auburn, okay? They have an entire state rich with football talent that has been designed since Huey Long to be the pinnacle brand in the entire state, even more so than their their own NFL team. Considerably more so. So had Nick Saban not gone to the Dolphins on a – I wouldn't call it a whim, but I think it would be the same circumstances by which Lincoln Riley would be attracted to the NFL without having won a national championship, I might add. Um, They would – it's possible. It's – you know, I, I also think it's very possible that we may be already on the the, the back end of this bubble, bud. And uh, and maybe all these guys who are running college offenses uh, will bust out in the NFL in the next five years.
2: I, I think that's very possible. Uh, Kingsbury has made some really bad coaching decisions as far as game management. A lot of really short field goals uh, that that have hurt his teams in game so far this year. Not uh, like if we're going to bash these defensive coaches for doing this. Uh, if you're an offensive coach, you're like, damn, Cliff, like. You finally get your shot at the NFL and you're going to kick 20 yard field goals like WTF, man. I definitely
1: step way back from watching live NFL games on Sunday as you do because you know, you're doing the Twitch show. We're all trying to get stuff ready. We're, we're doing the PAP and hurry up. Like I saw that on a tweet. I can't remember who, who retweeted it. but someone just said the NFL ruins everything. And it was, it was cliff going for a, I want to say a field goal inside of like the, maybe the 25.
2: Can we note one thing here? Uh, if the Cowboys are the most likely destination for Lincoln Riley, which is what you always see rumored, mm-hmm. uh, they probably have their own cheaper, more familiar Lincoln Riley type in-house in Kellen Moore, who is doing an awesome job with the Cowboys' offense. And either Dak Prescott is taking the next step, or he has helped him take the next step, or some combination of both. But the Cowboys' offense has looked real good so far, if and against you... bad teams, I get. But he's a rising star too. If you want a boy, if you if you want not total confidence but a lot of confidence as a Boise state fan.
1: If Brian Harson is lured away even on the even on the same track uh, or same time time frame as it took to lure Chris Peterson out of Boise, Kellen Moore is waiting in the wings and Kellen Moore is a
2: god in Idaho. Would he take that job? Um, you know, He's I start like like he might he might be outpacing that by now, to be honest. It's possible, it really just depends on
1: whether or not he wants to do the collegiate stuff. Um, he could he could right now and and you know it's it's early yet but he could have uh, an amazing pro career as a head coach um, probably OC for a little while but um, he if he wants to go to college if he wants to go home I mean that's the biggest thing is you go in and you sign a mega deal and whatever Boise's version of like a Jimbo Fisher A and M deal is it's there it's possible I do think he's I think he would he would uh, have interest in the job and I I I think that. Um, both parties would would engage in conversation. By the way, I'm not saying Harson's going anywhere. Before anybody extrapolates anything, I'm just saying there are a lot of programs, especially on the West Coast, who, if they did make a change, I would talk to Harson. Um, this is not tying him to USC in any way, shape, or form because I'll be honest right now, bud. Like I keep harping on the Sunny Dykes divorce from Cal, and it's all about kind of culture fit. I don't know what coach would fit USC, but Harson's a very good coach. Um, James Franklin would fit USC. Just a little bit. Uh, That's all I'll say for now in September. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit. Uh, Rakari, R-A-K-A-R-E-I, asks, The possibility looms that Clay Helton will fall ass-first into another year as USC's head coach. If that happens, does he have it in him to fire Clancy Pendergrass and find a new DC? USC currently ranks in the 50s defensively in both FPI and SP+. This is bad and should not be the case with USC's level of talent. But the one comment I got uh, when I was doing the Athlon stuff this year, doing the coach scouting on USC, the first thing that, that the first coach told me was, I can't remember when they look like the Pete Carroll front seven. It's been probably since Pete Carroll, basically. And
2: that's, uh, uh, that's stay telling. Tuned. Stay, stay tuned to Banner Society probably next week. Maybe two weeks from now, depending on how quickly I'm able to get this done. I uh, had a little data issue today, so I had to kind of take a step back and we're back on track now. But stay tuned about about front seven stuff with USC. Uh, look, the thing is, we don't like. Does USC have an AD yet? Uh, assuming that they actually end up losing to Washington, Notre Dame, and then probably at least one more time, I I think they have three more losses coming for sure. Absolutely.
1: Um, we talked in the previous segment about the state of California, and and essentially that UCLA is committed to a plan, even without an athletic director, whereas USC is still very much sort of at adrift at sea. Um, the shortest the shortest way to solve that, by USC standards, not good standards, not smart standards, bud, but to get into that heritage Hall, you know, uh, pardon the f bomb star fucker culture. Um, is to go out and hire the celebrity coach and hand in the reins. So that's Urban Meyer. It's some NFL person, whatever. I'm not saying that's the right path. Let's just say in Ricari's hypothetical here that Clay Helton is still a head coach. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he definitely could fire Clancy. Will he? I don't know. Should they be like this on on defense? I think it speaks more to just the landscape of recruiting in California and what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel they should like be better. Yeah. I, yes, I, they should, I, be, I better, they should be better, but it also just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Pete Carroll era talent.
2: Is it, it, Is it still possible to look like that at USC? Uh, maybe I'm not 100% convinced it's possible to look exactly like that, but I think it's possible to look close. Yeah. Okay. But it's harder to do so now.
1: Uh, as a postscript, he also asks, uh, also, the run game is bad, and I don't know whose fault it is. Where do I aim my anger? Um, I mean, Clay. But also, I well, mean, you change your offense to something that's not really going to favor a, a smashy, you know, Sam Cunningham running attack.
2: Their offensive line was also bad for, for last year, and so I think in some ways this new scheme is helping to hide some of those deficiencies, and it, and it may be a little bit easier to hide those in the pass game uh, than it is in the run game, thanks to the quick release of the air raid stuff. Uh, when it comes to actually pushing people around um, – you know, there, there are some issues there. But they have played a pretty good slate of defenses so far. Like, I think you have to kind of give that to them, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, like, they their well, run game will Utah. probably get better. Fresno's defense is not bad. Stanford's never mind actually is kind of bad. BYU's is not that bad. Uh, Utah's, especially in their front seven, is, is tremendous. God, did Utah choke that thing away. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that is, whew. Uh, Pac-12 is basically done as far as playoffs, by the way. Uh, my, my, uh, my season story of the season app thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. I figured I'd be out of having to do that by Halloween and I'm actually out of like, <laughs> it, it's, it's before October and I'm done with it. Of course. That's why you picked it.
1: Um, the Tin Buchanan. That's too long for me to read or too long for me. To we spell. already
2: answered that. It's basically, it, it's the App State question. I didn't realize I put it too similar. That's
1: okay. There. We'll do it real fast. If App State goes undefeated with wins over UNC, CH. Okay, that's a Carolinian right there who's right again because they're doing all that tagging of the different schools by locations. I love love love, local petty politics with I thought that was UNC schools. Charlotte.
2: I was like, why is that a bragging right?
1: No, it's got to be Chapel Hill. It's yeah, it's UNC you know, I, I can tell you why because they do UNC ch as that's how he has it written here and and oh. Charlotte right now is in an identity crisis. They want to be just Charlotte for football for the marketing, and then academically they want to be UNCC, which is UNC-C. Anyway, uh, if App goes undefeated with wins over North Carolina and South Carolina, would they be stronger contenders for the NY6 Bowl than a one-loss UCF or Boise? Uh, we Okay, we are throwing UCF back in. We've basically answered this. I would say, Bud, that people might favor UCF. It's possible, just because of strength of conference, which would inspire a whole new debate inside the G5.
2: So if UCF is one loss, that means that they have gone on to wins, fairly important games here, yes. and that they're not just banking on the Stanford win, which is now looking like one of their their least quality wins. They they'd be winning on the road at Centy, and Centy's not as good as we thought because they can't throw the ball. They they on the road at Temple. Temple kind of laid an egg against Buffalo. Tulsa looks a little better than expected. I think at Tulane that could be a decent win for uh-huh. for UCF. UCF doesn't get Memphis in the regular season, so they're not UCF's not going to get SMU. Uh, and Memphis. They're only gonna be able to play one of those uh because of how their their op- opposing you know opposing division schedule drops. I just better data points, man. Is is a one loss Boise better than a one loss UCF now? Like they're this UCF schedule is bad, um, You know the Mountain West I mean, is... they they draw UConn, ECU, uh, and USF. Like they don't get a lot of the better teams in the uh in the AAC this year. The the Mountain West is having a great year. They're
1: still the Mountain West, and what I mean by that is, just looking at Boise's next games, you're at UNLV, you're, you're at San Jose State, and don't tell me about Arkansas. That team sucks. New Mexico, a, an increasingly bad, they're both bad, a, an increasingly bad Colorado State team. I mean, well, you are just looking at data points, which is what they always say on the committee. You have a home game left against Hawaii, which is worth whatever you want to give it, a road game at Not BYU, okay? and a road game at Utah State before you would, I would assume, see Fresno again in the championship game. Just an assumption. So, data point to data point, I think it favors a one-loss American team unless you're undefeated. I think that's... I think you're right. right. Think- that's why Harson, every time I talk to him, always adopts that, if we're undefeated, we should be in every conversation. Because I think he knows... It reminds me of, like, John Calipari a couple years ago when Kentucky would be, you know, first, second, or third in the country but be really, really worried about their RPI because the rest of the SEC was just abysmal. And it really does take being perfect in the Mountain West, I think, to maintain that national attention. So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right. Let's let's uh, let's scoot on. Um, Chicky Panther... Boston College has been riding with Steve Adazio for seven years now. Jesus. Sorry, that the Jesus was me. Uh, despite the fact that he has never won more than seven games. If this job was to open up, how much of a draw does it have for top G five coaching candidates? Uh it is in a major conference. This is I can confirm that. And it's in a big city. It also doesn't have a rabid fan base and isn't located in a recruiting hotbed. Further, is there any stigma attached to the program with coaching candidates for the way they handled the Jeff, uh, I can never pronounce this guy's last name, Jag zinski uh, situation, firing him for taking an NFL head coaching interview. Yes, that did happen. I always remember that, you know, it's always somebody's first year in college football as fans. Um, So, but BC pulled a really dumb move. They fired a good coach for basically doing what all coaches do. I don't think it'll be held against them because there's new blood in there at BC. But where is BC in the realm of like just its own conference? Like, if, if BC and Wake and Pitt were all
2: open, where do you go? I, I think i go to Pitt there. Uh, I, look, Wake has had a good amount of success, but at the same time, I think that's two really good coaches in Jim Grobe and Dave Clausen. I don't know that everybody would be, would be able to, uh, to replicate that success. I'd probably rather have BC than Wake, and I think I'd rather have Pitt than either of the two. But within its own division – you're really hard pressed to argue that BC is better than than second or than, than second to last, right? As far as job quality, like, would you rather have Syracuse or BC? Would you rather have, I mean, NC State or BC is not a question. Louisville or BC is is not a question, in my opinion. Um, it's really like, what's the worst job in the Atlantic, and it's probably Wake or BC.
1: It's a very tough school, too. By the way, this is a highly respected Jesuit college. Uh, you know, admissions are. Uh, prickly, I wouldn't say impossible or anything like that, but uh, it, it is unique. It is extremely unique. They've found ways to recruit there before, but I think you have to come in with a really, really unique system. Of course, I'm just going to tell you to hire like Jeff Munkin or Ken Matinolo and just do your thing. So,
2: triple, uh, okay. So let me ask you this. The expectations also really matter here because if you had the expectations of doing what BC did in the very late two thousands, when both Clemson and Florida state uh, were very down, um, then I don't want that job. If you're asking me, I need you basically like a Dazio plus a win per season, mm-hmm. then I think I can get there. But if you think I need to be winning nine or ten games at Boston College with any regularity, no, not even including a bowl. That's just not something I think you can really be doing. They're they they they're not one of these teams that is in full control of its destiny as yeah. far as reaching those wins numbered 8, 9, 10, 11. You know? I don't think Dazio has done a bad job as far as – number of wins, the trajectory is not that good. Uh, and based on how much talent they lost to the NFL off last year's team, they should have had a couple more wins last year. I think he's paying for some underachieving last year and and not undeservedly. You don't know who you are. I definitely think that's a problem
1: befelling BC and a lot of these mid-tier schools, especially in the ACC, because we used to talk about the cul-de-sac with Bill a lot and there's still not really a measured order of tears in this conference, which is exciting because it's a lot of rising and falling and, and people sort of claiming destinies. And at the same time, maybe you are probably, I'll put it this way. You always talk about teams that are symptomatic of a, of a bad conference. Like, Hey, wakes in the orange bowl or wow. You know, this team made,
2: uh, I tried to, you you had an example recently. I forgot. Like,
1: if this oh, team like, like like
2: when Virginia Tech or Boston College when w- won the ACC in the late 2000s. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly, You know, like Arizona State is winning the Pac-12 or so, you know, like something yes. like that. It's just not. Or uh, the Big 12 stuff, right? When TCU Baylor was winning it, it was like great, okay, That's but a sign of yeah, things are unhealthy, right?
1: Um, okay, uh, we did address this already, but I'll do it real fast. Uh, our friend at Valley shook asks, predict the end of year standings for the Mountain West with UCF out of the picture. Again, we don't know if they're out of the picture. Uh, can they make a New Year six? I said it earlier, and I, I think Bud would agree with me. Um, it, it'll most certainly be um, Fresno, who I know is one and two right now, but those losses are out of conference against Boise. I mean, I would definitely go chalk for the for the uh, conference rematch. I think Boy- I would throw
2: Utah State in there too as a possibility.
1: Yes, so Utah State is going to be the stumbling block for uh, for Boise. Uh, they do play Fresno as well, but um, just by division. The uh,
2: and if San Diego State gets its offense figured out, which I don't think it will by the way cuz their offense looks real bad. Yeah, like, so here's my thing bad. I think they San Diego, could go on a run.
1: I think San Diego State's offense is is kind of waning out. I think I think that you might see a retirement there. That job might open and then we got to figure out what is that job and how good could it be and does it attract you know a, a rising star type of G5 coach. And I don't know the Man, answer. if he
2: wants to go like do like a half retirement job and be like a DC somewhere, like got to rock get <laughs> getting Rocky to beat your DC would be pretty cool. I that, that guy, his defenses are awesome.
1: I would agree. Um, I will say this, if, if it is Boise being the G five, non, they need a really, really strong Fresno. They haven't looked as good as I thought they would early on. I definitely think that, I mean, they lost in double overtime to Minnesota, but I, I thought they would win that game. I thought, I mean, I had Minnesota beating USC to open the season. They only lost by eight by so, eight. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. Um, at Anthony Vito underscore asks, which coaches have the hottest seats right now? Who's primed to replace them and how far will the dominoes fall? What a wide ranging question, Anthony. Um, so there's a bunch of obvious ones, Bud. how do you want to, how do you want to do this? You want to go top down? Top down's fine. Yeah. We already um, talked some G five. So we're, we're already getting our editorial plan together for like how we're going to handle coach season. Um, I don't think anything's going to happen this weekend as far as like a surprise firing or anything like that. Um, Muschamp has a pretty serious buyout at South Carolina right now. That's the one that I see kind of percolating near the top that I would throw out immediately. Um, I'm I know what happened at Wisconsin this weekend. I'm putting a total pause on any nonsense. I think all the talk around Harbaugh's nonsense right now. They're still primed to go on a run. Um, let's talk after they play Iowa, okay? Right now, I'm just kind of sorting names out of the pile that we haven't previously mentioned on PAPN. If
2: they go seven and five, is is he in play? Because I don't, I don't think that offense is going to turn around that much, man. They they, they look like they're not coached. I think that
1: if, if they're 7-5, and five, there might be a mutual departure. I think that that's what happens in any circumstance, to be totally honest with you. I don't think he's thrown out on his ass. Um, so the schools that we've talked about before, um, it's a lot of mid-majors. I still stand by pretty much every mid-major we identified early in the season, with the exception. I think some people have thrown BYU in there. I think Kalani Sadaki is fine. Uh, I've written about that. Um, UNLV is going to open I think New Mexico State I think um, USF Is Ole Miss open? Um, that's one Bud's asked me about. Yeah you've asked me about A couple times So here's the situation With Ole Miss You would need A monumental cratering And you would also need An obvious candidate I think one is likely I don't know what the latter is I don't really know Who they want to plug in there Necessarily And I also don't think Anyone trusts or has confidence In Rich Rodriguez To take that job For the long term I don't think anybody In Oxford is interested In a Rich Rodriguez era at Ole miss just because they have their homegrown boy matt luke um who is rapidly losing faith but at the same time they're they're just they don't have any options bud they don't have a chancellor they don't have an athletic director the the calendar that i was given for the chancellor search at Ole miss which has to be approved by a state board essentially um it's called the ihl the uh I don't see how all this stuff is hired and, and chancellor put in place, ad put in place, all this ready to go by the time that you would crest in coaching season. So this may save like a four and eight. Matt Luke is what I'm getting at. They would. Oh, have- Fuente. Yeah, Fuente. So Fuente's a legit one. Uh, Fuente's one, I think is legit. I, I think they're going Tag- to miss a bowl. I think Taggart is not I think. still um we talked in the previous segment we obviously uh richard and i agreed agreed emphatically that only dumbasses right now are looking at ucla as being some sort of systemic problem tennessee's the obvious one that was the one i was going to save till last but now i'm just kind of scanning the board at this point um throw out anything about scott frost throw out anything about uh what's the other one i've seen jonathan smith at oregon state Uh, they're committed to a long-term deal there um, Didn't Doran
2: just sign at at, uh, at NC State?
1: Yeah, I don't think they to fire Doran would be a huge mistake. You and I have talked about that before. So yeah. the ones that I would the ones I would earmark right now: uh, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, because it could crater. Ole Miss is on the board; it could crater. Michigan State. I always hear about Mark Dantonio sort of nearing retirement. Everything that's going on in that administration—it's definitely worth talking about. And then you get into a just a host of of group of five jobs it only takes but you know this only takes one major job to open so is that clay helton and usc right now we haven't mentioned them yet i think they're in the conversation so if usc tennessee and virginia tech open that's enough to then create you know i, I just, just to borrow from Fullcast for a second that's sort of the, a blood week type of year in, in a coaching cycle you need a top 10 job to open you need two or three top 15 jobs, and then and then it sort of cascades after that. That's how it works. And with all these G5 openings that we're predicting, you have to think that like you're going to see some churn here. And also, I'd make a bold prediction without knowing anything off the top of my head. It feels like that Dana Holgerson to Houston thing wasn't the last time we would see a sitting P5 go to a top G5. Like Colorado State would garner some interest if it opened. It really would. I think hmm. to a lesser degree, so would UNLV with the right West Coast coach.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think you'd want to take a stab at UNLV, um, Colorado State. That's that's interesting. It, it seems like, uh, like like Colorado's doing a decent job there now. Cincinnati Fickle's fine, even though they're they're kind of underachieving what people thought they would do this year. I, I think.
1: Um, I would look strongly at Luke Fickle if Michigan State were to open because of retirement. Just drop, yeah, I just drop. I, I some think free advice there, folks. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a head football coach or, or bud, just in case they approach you, bud, uh, no, no one, no one who can hear my voice right now. Uh, please, please don't take the Rutgers job.
2: Just don't do it. So one thing here I'm noticing is a lot of these teams that are having bad seasons. And I wrote a newsletter about this and we've discussed this previously. A lot of these guys are having bad years. It's like, yeah, but they're just in year two. They were that first early signing period class. And there is that element of, do you really want to can somebody after just two years? Right. Like if Chad Morris did this in year three, he's gone. If if Pruitt does this in year three, he's toast. If Willie Taggart goes six and six in year three, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Frost has more leash because he's a native son and because he was smart enough to say things will get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if if what do you have Nebraska finishing like seven and five, six and six?
1: Uh man, I yeah. See, I think they're fine.
2: I think if he makes a bowl, he, he's like totally good in in, in 2020, you know, probably gets at least four years there. Cause like if you, if you fire Scott Frost after what he did at UCF, I mean, even after like year three or four, who the heck are you going to get? But in no way, shape or form do I think they're going to fire Scott Frost? No, I
1: don't either. But if they were, I'm talking about after next year, for some reason, if they did, okay, that job would be as toxic as any job I could ever remember. that was ever at any point in time considered to be a P5 job. Hey Indiana's going to make a bowl I think. You know, I think that's the Mendoza line for uh for Tom Allen specifically. I really do. I think what you just said right there it's it's kind of bowler bust the way they finished the last couple seasons with five wins. So, um that's the roughest picture I can assemble now. We're going to start actually kind of tacking names and boards and agents and all that jazz here soon. I'm if every if, if someone's looking for that that wow moment with like a sudden Steve Spurrier retirement, I Don't know if we're going to see that this year. I think a good old fashioned country ass firing is probably on deck, but you know, some of these contracts are structured in which you just, you just kind of let them run out the season. You know, I thought we would see more mid season firings a couple years ago when they kicked up and it's been calm so far. Um, I think those are all the ones I want to mention, Bud. Um, last question before we get out. Last question before we get out is interesting. Bud picks the questions. I'm gonna read this question and then I have to I have to abstain. You know when like Herbie won't pick the game that he's calling.
0: No. I
1: can't pick this game <laughs> that I because I am calling this game. Literally, I am actually working on something. However, I do want to bring this up. Okay. So, Bud, the floor is yours. At
2: TC Stevenson one okay, uh, yeah. says hashtag ask PAPN on a scale of one to 10. How hilarious is that the Kansas attempt to weasel out of David Betty's buyout got them hit with lack of institutional control. Uh, for those of y'all who didn't see this out there, I didn't read the whole thing yet uh, because I've been busy, but Kansas got like a I believe a notice of allegations, right? Uh, from the NCAA and uh, it's both basketball and football. And they uh, are alleged to have a, Non coach, I believe, coaching in practice, which is a no no. And uh, I th- is, is that is that correct as far as not saying that's what actually happened, but that's correct as to what the allegations say, I believe? I believe so. I believe so. You believe so? I believe so. so yeah, you can't say journalists anything else about can,
1: this. Hey, journalists can know comment better than anybody. It just doesn't
2: happen a lot. Yeah. They, oftentimes they're not smart enough to do so. Nicely done, sir. Um, hmm. Hmm. You want to talk to King? Hmm. I didn't get any questions about that. But like what?
1: Uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. He's we'll, not coming back there, right? No. Um, so that happened as we, uh, right before we were putting the show together. Um, no one asked. It's weird. Um, but he's not coming back.
2: Maybe he can go to tell reunite with Kendall Briles, 50 but, touchdowns together.
1: Bud, you've been talking about this for f- what? Four weeks? You noticed a decline in play from King. You thought maybe it was injury related, but every week when we were doing roundups and especially on Sundays, Bud is like kind of crunching through a lot of drive charts and scores and 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 analytics. And you flagged it pretty early. I want to say after Prairie View A and M, and said, "Look, there's either something wrong with him or it's not working in the system." And now we see this. So credit to you, sir. I don't see how he comes back. Dane is not going to depart like in any large wholesale way from his offensive philosophy just for this kid.
2: Like, Are they, are they still letting him hang out in the building on, on the, the hope that he comes back? Or are they just trying to like, what what's the purpose of wanting him to stay? If he's trying to register, like do, t- does he really want to come back and play 2020? I swear to God, but every time I, every time
1: I look out and I see a coaching hire and I say perfect fit. Cause that's what I said about Holgerson going to work with Tillman Fertitta in Houston and all that. I said, perfect fit. And the last time I said that perfect fit cultural nonsense was Fuente going to tech. So I'm just going to shut up.